On today's episode, we are talking with Jen Coles about her battle with MS. She was diagnosed when she was 25 years old, and at one point in time, the disease left her unable to walk. But throughout this journey, she has found her life's mission and a passion for helping others manage their stress and anxiety that also keeps her MS in remission, and that is breath work. Breath work is an active meditation to move stagnant energy in the body. So she is on a mission to help as many people as possible understand the healing benefits in the power of their own breath. So let's take a dive in today and hear her journey. Journey, her story, where all of this started, and how she has put MS into remission and live a symptom free life. You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all of the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators, and this is The Food Code. All right. Welcome back to The Food Code. We are very excited today. We have Jen Coles on the podcast, and we are going to talk all about MS and her journey with breathwork and how this has been such a game changer in her life uh, as she has been battling multiple sclerosis for 13 years. So I don't want to steal the thunder. Jen, thank you so much for coming on and welcome to The Food Code. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. We wanted to connect for our listeners because I think a lot of listeners have listened to our podcast for a while and know of Brad because we have had Brad on multiple times now. Um, Mm -hmm. Jen is Brad's girlfriend. So Mm -hmm. that is how we got to know about Jen. Um, And she has her own story, which is amazing. And to the two of you together stories, it's just like (laughs) you guys could probably, you know, lead an entire party of people telling your guys' stories because there's so much that I think is going to be powerful um, for our listeners. So Jen, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe from the beginning, like how this all developed? I know you mentioned even starting back to childhood um, and where this all stemmed from for you. Give us a little bit of history. Yeah, I think going back to the childhood because um, that's where it does begin, especially with the trauma. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I was the only girl, um, I have three brothers and my childhood was pretty rough. Um, I had a very strict mom. Um, and there was just not a, not, not a lot of love in my family for me, not a lot of, um, caring, but now as an adult, I can see that my mom was in so much of her own pain that she was unable to show up for me like the mother I needed. But as a kid, you know, no, I didn't realize that. And it was hard to cope. My voice didn't matter. And I felt very unseen and unloved. And I was looking for outlets just to feel, feel included. And so even in high school, um, I had my first drink and it opened me up to feeling seen by other people. And I liked that. So I, you know, I was a big weekend drinker in high school and that kind of didn't stop for a long time. Um, but my mom, she was, she was very abusive verbally. Um, 
And that's really hard when you're a kid to be told, you know, everything that you're doing wrong and never to hear that she's proud of you or anything like that. So it's very traumatic growing up, which led me into when you, when you're in an abusive relationship, you kind of go to another abusive relationship. It's kind of a pattern that you go through. And it led me to my first husband who is also very abusive. There was so much trauma in that marriage. Um, he was abusive in every way that you can think of. And I stayed with him for a long time because I didn't know my worth. You know, I didn't know that I deserved better than that. That was, that was comfortable for me to stay in that place in the toxic environment. It was familiar to me, even though I don't, I didn't like it. It was all I knew from my childhood to that. That's so hard. And, um, yeah, it was just really, it was, it was a really toxic place to be and I'm very happy to be out of it now. <laughs> yeah. So talk a little bit about how did that lead? I mean, all of the abuse, all of the trauma, how did that lead up to your, your diagnosis uh, with MS and when you were 25? So I was still married at the time, but we were going through, we were about to get a divorce. I already knew I wanted to leave him. I was just making my exit plan, trying to figure out how to leave. Um, so I woke up one day and the whole left side of my body from my face to my feet were completely numb and weak. And I was like, what the heck? I thought I had a stroke. So I Google, you know, Google tells you everything. (laughs) Got on Google and I Googled it. And actually MS was the first thing that pulled up, but I was like, I don't have that. That's for old people. (laughs) And um, we didn't have insurance at the time, so we didn't go to any doctors. We were just kind of writing it out, which I don't recommend doing. If your body is telling you that there's something wrong, go to the doctor because I, you know, I let, I probably caused some permanent damage inside. Um, so anyway, uh, it's probably a few months before I went to the doctor and it took a lot of tests. They did, you know, an MRI, a spinal tap. Um, some in lab tests and they came back. I never, I'll never forget. I was at the gym when they called me and they told me that I had multiple sclerosis and I was like, wait, what? And like, I just like broke down at the gym and that diagnosis for me at that time, cause I had no tools was a death sentence for me. I absolutely had no idea what to do from there on out. And I lived in a victim mindset for a long time. And I was very, very sick. What kind of, other than obviously the numbness, what other symptoms were you experiencing? With my first initial um, attack, they call them, uh, uh, numbness and weakness. And I couldn't swallow really well. I had slurred speech, but I remember trying to fold my, um, my son. He was a baby, his laundry with my arm. And I couldn't even fold it. I had to like swing my arm to help fold the laundry or I couldn't hold them in my left hand. Um, I couldn't open the door. Like it was, it was crazy. I was convinced I had a stroke and the relapses after that progressively got worse and worse and worse. And um, during the time there was years where I was in being a victim, not accepting my disease. Um, 
drinking and partying. Um, it was, and being around more toxic people, my disease progressed really bad. And I had several relapses where I couldn't walk. My last, the last relapse I had was seven years ago. And that one put me in a wheelchair. Um, and then I, from that, I went to a walker and then a cane and I lost all strength in my legs, complete numbness. I couldn't feel myself go to the bathroom. I couldn't feel myself pull up my pants. I couldn't, you know, um, I could not walk without assistance going from wall to wall. Um, it was defeating and sad. And I was doing it all alone because I had a boyfriend at the time, but he had left me because he was too scared of the disease. And, um, you know, I had people telling me you're going to die from this. Nobody's going to love you because of this. So that's what I programmed in my mind. And that's what I believed. And that's what was coming into my life. And I was, um, you know, I had already been through a divorce and had left my husband. So I had two little kids and trying to do this alone. And I was severely, severely depressed. Um, I was very suicidal too. And I was drinking a lot, a lot and alcohol and anything. Alcohol is just not good for you, <laughs> you know, and I used it to numb the pain. And I was thinking that made me feel better because I didn't have to feel. And it actually made everything a million times worse. Yeah. Um, and just being suicidal, you know, I had a plan. I had a plan and I went through with the plan and the plan didn't work. And that was my sign to really turn my life around. Yeah. I got to ask just because, I mean, Liz and I both have little ones. I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And how long do the, like, uh, I'm trying to think of the right what episodes? episodes last. Cause I like, I mean, I'm thinking if I couldn't move my body, like my one-year-old, literally I'm carrying her 24 seven. Like, how did you, how did you manage with two small kids? Um, so the first one, you know, I was still married, so he had helped me, yep. but they last, they say about 90 days, anything after 90 days is permanent. Oh, so you can get, you can start feeling better over that time. But mm -hmm. I did with the last one left some permanent nerve damage. Okay. Um, it was really hard. I had to, I could not show up for my kids, um, as the mom they needed. I was in bed a lot. I was sleeping a lot. They they were old enough to kind of be self-sufficient, but not really, you know, I still had to cook for them and mm -hmm. take care of them. Yeah. But I had to have a lot of help from my ex-husband. He did step in. He, he's a great dad to them. Yeah. Um, he did step in to help and you know, that's how, that's how I made it. I, yeah, I didn't have help from my family because I don't talk to my mom or dad anymore. They don't talk to their kids. So, but I had help from some friends, but they had families of their own, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I just, I had to do my best and I, I look back and I'm like, I don't know how I made it through. So there were some days where my kids were making me breakfast and helping me. And I just, you know, kids shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. And Ugh. you were young too. I mean, 25, how old were your kids <laughs> when you were diagnosed? My daughter was five and my son was three. Okay. okay. Were there any signs uh, before this first, you know, attack the day that you woke up? Were there any 
you know, symptoms that you had experienced, but maybe neglected or just thought, no, this is just like maybe a bad hangover because you were drinking before or anything like that? No, not that I look back. There was no signs um, leading up to it. And that's why I was like, this just came out of nowhere. I just literally woke up with a numb body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just curious. I have, In my childhood, I woke up one day very similar, only it was children's RA was the diagnosis. I come, come to uh, think maybe it wasn't exactly, but yeah, I woke up one morning um, at my mom's house. My grandma lived with us at the time. And so I like couldn't walk. Like I'm like crawling down the stairs, went out to the garage, got her walker, um, all of these things. And, and yeah, it just, you know, kind of hit me. It was after a week I was at, um, kids camp swimming in the lake and rolling down the hill and all those things. So then they thought maybe it's Lyme disease, maybe it was something else, but, um, yeah. So that's, I just wanted to ask because there was nothing for me, you know, either. My mom thought that I was just like wanting to stay home and skip school because she's like, what the heck? You were just mm-hmm. fine last night. But you know, some of these things they do, they just hit out of nowhere. And so I would love to start turning uh, a corner here and talk about how you've turned your test into your testimony and how you have taken back, you know, control. So maybe bring us from that really dark place of trying to commit suicide to where you are today and share a little bit about that journey and how maybe someone who is in a dark place right now may start to pull themselves out. Yes. Um, so I always think when people ask me, you know, that question that they want this big, crazy answer, like, how did you get better? And there's some, there's some big answer to it, but what has worked for me? And I know, you know, any chronic illness or anything that people are going through, it can be different, but what has worked for me is doing the small things consistently every single day to add up. And I started by healing my mind and my body followed. And I remember, you know, after I had tried to follow through with that plan and it failed, I woke up the next day and I was like, okay, well, this is my sign that I still need to be here. And I, that is the day that, you know, has changed my life. That morning I woke up and I got into complete acceptance of my disease. It had been seven years. I didn't accept it. That's a long time to be in denial. That's a long time for, you know, to not accept what my body was going through and to make myself even sicker. I got into complete acceptance of it and complete gratitude. I remember just writing pages and pages of everything that I was grateful for. All the small things in the house, you know, my kids, everything that I was grateful for. And it started to shift my perspective my mind. I was like, okay, like I'm not as strong as I used to be, but I'm grateful that I can walk now. My legs are numb. I can't feel them, but I can walk a little bit. So getting into gratitude and acceptance, I made myself goals that I can check off every day. Going to the gym was one of them. I was going to the gym. I've always been an active person. So when MS took my ability to walk, it was so defeating and so tragic for me because I couldn't work out. So I made myself a goal. Okay, let's go to the gym um, for 20 minutes a day, a few days a week. And that's all I could do. I couldn't lift much. I couldn't do much at all, but I, I tried and it was really hard. And it was, I was really embarrassed because I would have to like lean against the machines just to get around the gym and go from each one. 
and people were probably wondering what was wrong with me. <laughs> but I made those small goals. And when I achieved those goals, it was slow. I made the goals a little bigger, like, okay, three days a week, a half hour, 45 minutes. Um, and getting stronger in the gym helped my body to get stronger. And so that was really important for me because I wanted to use my legs again like they were supposed to. That's amazing. I I think it's just such a testament, honestly. Sorry, like how much the mind can impact the body. And I think that there's so many, so many people out there that, well, what supplement do I take? What diet do I follow? Like, tell me what to do to change, you know, my body. And it's like, Mm you you have a ton of trauma emotionally like you're you're mean to yourself you're negative and like they're like no but i i just i need to do these things to feel better so that i can love myself more and it's like no you need to start with loving yourself more like you need to start mm-hmm. with accepting whatever's going on or face whatever's going on or work on changing the mindset because it all stems from there and i think what you went through like yeah i'm sure you know the alcohol played a small role maybe but like the toxicity of your emotional state Seems like it was kind of the big driver, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I truly believe that your environment and what you have around you, and that's why my, my toxic childhood, my toxic marriage, I truly believe you store it all in, into your body, especially when you don't process that it creates disease and it creates chaos in your system. And I, you know, I truly believe that's why I was so sick. And I, that's why I was like, okay, I knew I had to work on my mind. And my mom was my biggest let or she was everything I didn't want to be because, you know, she wasn't someone that did self-help or work on her mind. And so I was like, I need to be the complete opposite of what she is. And, you know, I started doing these things. So I wasn't taught any of these little things by in my childhood or ever. I started doing these little things and I started to feel better and I started to get better. And just over time, you know, I feel even better. It's been a journey. It's, it's not easy. Uh, healing is very messy and it's hard. And I think that's why a lot of people avoid it because it's, it's full of tears and, um, Feelings. it's just not, not pretty. <laughs> Feelings, right? We talked to a lot of people, like, when was the last time that you allowed yourself to feel? And I think that, as you mentioned, you know, with the alcohol, you were using that to numb the fact that we now have, you know, this diagnosis or this disease or, you know, numb the pain, but also the emotional pain. And I think, you know, again, taking you back to high school, when you started that, a lot of that would correlate to the emotional pain. And I think just so many people are afraid to feel and allow themselves to be real in terms of tears, right? Even like when was the last time that you cried or let yourself cry, like let yourself actually feel to me crying is okay. I cry Mm -hmm. all the time. So don't worry. I may cry in this podcast. Who knows? Uh, My husband (laughs) makes fun of me because I'm like, why are you crying? I'm not really sure why I'm crying. I'm just crying because I'm feeling an emotion right now. Um, And so I think it's important, you know, for everybody's listening to understand that, you know, as you go through a healing journey, it's going to be messy. It's going to look a lot different for everybody. Cause I think people heal in different ways. And so you chose to set these small goals, go to the gym, challenge your body, even though you were dealing with, you know, weaknesses. And that's just a testament to how strong, you know, you were mentally. And so what are some of the other things I would be curious to know, um, you know, more about this journey in terms of 
yeah, I started removing toxic relationships. I ended certain relationships. I drew boundaries. Maybe you changed your diet or worked with, you know, somebody to help you understand inflammation and how food might be a driver to, you know, exacerbating symptoms. So let's, let's dive in a little bit there with all of the other things besides the gym. (laughs) No, yes, totally. Um, I did, you know, and toxic relationships. I've had to cut off a lot of relationships and it got very lonely. But um, so I did that. I went to therapy. Therapy helped me in so many ways. It's I love therapy. I recommend it to everybody. I think we all could use therapy. <laughs> they just help you see things differently. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, and then diet was huge. Diet was huge. Um, especially foods, learning foods that don't cause inflammation in your system, changing, completely switching up my diet, not eating processed foods and going to McDonald's all the time. Like I used to in high school, diet is so huge and it plays such a big part in my healing. And I know for so many diseases out there, if you can tweak your diet, how, how much better you can feel just from that. It's, it's amazing. And there's, there's so much to learn about the diet that I didn't know. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and supplements that I, you know, supplements I take every day that can help me and, and water drinking water every day, just water. And I don't, I don't eat sugar. I think sugar can be a trigger for stuff like that. And I'm just not a sugar fan. I'm actually very grateful for that because I know a lot of people do struggle with that, but I never have like, (laughs) Brad's like, why don't you like donuts? I'm like, I'm not sure. I just really don't. <laughs> I love Brad. But I'm grateful I don't. Donuts. He loves donuts. He does love donuts. <laughs> he just um, really he really just thinks there's something wrong because I don't like donuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably a good thing and probably has made the journey easier for you because we know, I mean, sugar is one of the top inflammatory foods. And of course, we could get in the conversation of moderation and, you know, all of those things. But for some individuals, especially when we're dealing with a chronic illness, it exacerbates a lot of things. And so the question becomes, is this worth it? You know, I think anybody in uh, your shoes or a similar situation is going to say no, right? Like I want to feel good. It's more important for me to be able to go to the gym and walk and do the things that make me feel good. What would you say are some of the biggest tips you would give to someone who's in that situation right now, but maybe mentally struggling? Because diet is hard. I think for many people, we're surrounded by so many things, whether it's the candy bowl at work, their spouse bringing things into the house, you know, they're busy, it's convenience, it's the grocery store and all of the things at the checkout line, right? What would you say to that person who's struggling and and feels like I have to be perfect or if I'm not, I'm just going to, you know, enjoy and get back to my anti-inflammatory protocol here, if you will, uh, on Monday? Well, first I'll say that I'm not perfect and still I enjoy I will enjoy something that is not the best for me, but I can feel it like red meat, not good for me. It's not, but every now and then I do have a steak. I can, when I'm eating something that I shouldn't be, um, my body immediately tells me whether I like it or not. So it is going back to, is this worth it or not? And it's a lot of trial and error and figuring out what works for your body and what doesn't. And there are foods that I do eat that can make me more fatigue is such a big part of MS. It's probably my only symptom now. It's my main complaint. I complain about it all the time. (laughs) 
And I know if I'm not eating the best because I'm not perfect at it still, I'm not, I do want to enjoy my occasional, you know, candy every now and then I do. So, but I know, um, that it does affect my symptoms. So it's just going back to what is worth it, figuring out what, what works for your body. Um, and just making yourself a plan and sticking to it. I think sometimes too, just breaking it down into like smaller and smaller pieces. Cause Mm -hmm. the whole concept of like, just make a plan and stick to it can be, you know, people think like, Oh, well then I have to do this forever. And it's like, no, just Mm -hmm. like the choice you have right now, what like that candy that's in front of you right now, do you really Mm -hmm. need it? Like just focus on that one choice and then just keep making those choices. And like you said, healing's messy. Like it is never linear for people. And so understanding that, you know, you might have some relapses or like you might have some points where you're like, I feel like I took a step back there, but always just continuing that next decision, that next choice that's in front of you, they can make to help you, to help you feel better. Um, and really evaluating, like, is this worth it? And unfortunately, I think a lot of people are just too comfortable in that toxic place. It's what they know. Um, and like you mentioned, especially people that deal with stuff from kid childhood, I, I, I feel so bad for people that go through really hard childhoods because it's kids don't know how to cope. You know, it's, it's something that they shouldn't have to, they shouldn't have to know how to do those things. And a lot of them internalize it. Um, they find, you know, as, as children, I think sometimes they find ways to cope with things, whether it's like fidgeting or, you know, different mechanisms, mannerisms, stuff like that. But it usually always comes out in adulthood, um, in different ways. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I feel Mm -hmm. so bad for kids that go through things. Um, you know, and it sounds like you've completely changed things to want to be a different mom. And that's amazing um, for your kids. And they've been with you through really hard things. And I, I'm sure it's brought you all ultimately closer um, by working through all of this together. So can you talk a little bit about breath work and how that was a part of your journey? Yes. So, you know, on, on my journey, therapy, meditation, all that fun stuff, I found breath work. And that has truly changed my life to the point where I was like, okay, I've got to learn how to do this so that I can help other people. It's, it's amazing. And the, um, the first time I did like a deep meditative breath work session, it was only seven minutes and I was bawling. (laughs) And I was like, what is happening? Like, because I wasn't feeling and I wasn't allowing myself to feel. And, you know, when I was a kid, you know, every time I'd cry, you know, they would say, stop crying, stop crying. So I didn't feel, and I'm just doing this breathing and I'm crying and I'm like, what, what? And all this stuff started coming up for me. And I was like, this is wild, (laughs) you know? And it was only seven minutes and I had, I went to the gym and I had such a good workout and I had so much energy and I slept so good that night. I was like, wow, I did this myself. This is crazy. The breath can do this. And and what it's doing is, and it's like I said, when we go through these traumatic experiences or these stressful experiences and we don't process it, our body stores it in our tissues and it, and it just, it stays in there and it creates chaos in your system. And, and like I said, it creates dis-ease. Your body is literally at dis-ease and it's where stress comes from. It's where anxiety comes from. And, um, and when we're breathing in these deep breath patterns for long periods of time, 
it moves that energy. It moves it in your system and it clears it out. Um, a lot of the times in the first time you have very much healing in your breathwork session, it moves it out of the way and makes room for new positive energy. It's, it's such a powerful tool to use and something that's helped me with stress and anxiety and, and stress is a huge trigger for MS. I think for a lot of diseases and keeping it at bay so that, you know, I'm, I'm still in remission and it's just another tool in my tool bag that I use. That's amazing. I actually, uh, I have one experience that I vividly remember. We had Wim Hof come to our gym and do a seminar for some of the coaches and people locally. Um, I have never experienced anything like it. Mm. Like, so he took everyone through a breathing session. I was like violently shaking. My fingers were cramping up uncontrollably. Like my hands were like, I was getting like fists and I couldn't control it. Um, crying <laughs> like it, and it like, it's just such a surreal experience all mm -hmm. from just controlling your breath in certain ways mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. he talks about a lot. You know, I, I'm sure you have learned from him or read things from him. Um, he's kind of, I think like one of the gold standards in that breathwork uh, realm. Um, but how you can heal the body essentially from like even colds, viruses, illnesses, like it, just because of how much it impacts blood flow and being able to move different, you know, it, humans are essentially like magnetic beings to an extent, um, mm -hmm. you know, positive and negative forces. And it's just, I think a lot of people don't give it enough credit, unfortunately, um, because it's just a different variation of m medicine per se, um, or mm -hmm. healing and, people look at it, you know, it always has to be external, like a pill or, you know, a food or a, a procedure or whatever it is. Um, but how pow truly powerful it is. Like I've truly never, I never thought anything like that would happen from breath work. I was kind of one of those people going into it where I was like, eh, I don't know if I believe this so much. And then you go through it and you experience and you're like, holy F that was really intense. I was exhausted afterwards. Like I, it's just, it's crazy. It is crazy. Mm -hmm. And I get so many people after my sessions that say that too. They're like, what the heck did you just take me through? <laughs> I know. <laughs> they, you know, I've even had people say that was like, that was years of therapy and 30 minutes of breathing. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's powerful work because it's not, it's not there to make you like relive your trauma, mm -hmm. but it's there to help you work through the emotions that you were, um, that you st stuffed in when you went through that traumatic experience, because we have to feel to heal. I truly believe that we have to feel to heal. And I feel a lot now and I cry a lot now too. Like every day I cry, <laughs> it feels good. It's just another way of releasing. Yes. Yeah. Some people sweat, some people cry, some yeah. people do both. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My husband's the same way. When we're watching like a movie that he knows is like a sad part, he just stares at me waiting for me to cry. And I'm like, can you stop yeah. looking at me? Like, just <laughs> let me feel the emotions I'm feeling right now. Okay. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> I know it's so good for us. So everyone just needs to do it. I'm, I'm a big fan of crying. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh man. Well, I would love for you to, you know, just share a little bit about what's coming up for you. I know uh, you're getting ready to release some things. You do work with uh, individuals one-on-one. I think I've seen you post even just over Zoom doing these uh, sessions virtually as well. So if, you know, someone is out there and says, hey, I want to connect with Jen, maybe I want to do a, a breathwork session or I want to attend a workshop or, you know, whatnot, uh, what you have coming up and where can they find you? Um, so I am doing a website right now. It's almost done. Super excited. So everything will be on there. <laughs> but right now I'm just on Instagram under that breathwork girl. Really easy to find. Um, and I'm I'm in Utah and I host in-person events because that in-person event is just so magical. It's such a different experience. I try to do those once a month, just kind of all over the valley wherever I can find a spot. And I, um, so I always post about it on my Instagram and then for people who want to try it out and see what it is, I do a free virtual one every single month too. And I post that and just give them a little taste of what breathwork is. Um, and then I also offer one-on-one sessions. Um, I do packages. So yeah, everything right now is just on my Instagram. And those in-person ones, you know, if you're in Utah, I would love for you to come because, you know, I get, I I guide you through it. And it's just such a different experience when, when I'm there guiding you, making you feel safe. And like you said, you're going to feel your body is going to do so many crazy things, but you want to feel safe during that. The hands cramp up, the people sweat, there's a, you know, it can be, people can move a lot. Um, I've had people scream. Crying is huge. I get a lot of criers and that's, it's just, it's so healing. It's just, I create such a safe place when you're there with a bunch of strangers, you're all getting vulnerable. You're all crying together. And then after you're all hugging, it's so, I just love watching it. And I love being able to, you know, guide you and help you through that. It's so powerful. I miss the in-person. Uh, I was wow. just sharing that I went back and joined a gym and um, it's been so much better. It's just totally different when you're in person than it is, you know, trying to do something by yourself or, you know, over Zoom. But we are also very thankful for technology because we help women all over the world, you know, and so it does give you opportunities that we didn't have before. So we do love technology. Um the last question that I have for you, and this is a surprise question that I didn't share before, but what would you say to someone who is in that place right now of not accepting the diagnosis um, and any words of encouragement that you would give them? Yeah, that that part was the hardest for me. Um, and it's because I was in a lot of shame and I felt very alone during it. And I was like, did I cause this to myself? Like, what did I do? Why do I deserve this? Um, so I couldn't accept it, but I just encourage the person who is in that right now to, to reach out to whoever they can and know that they're not alone and, um, coming to a place of acceptance, even though it's so hard is what turned my life around. And and I don't even notice I, I have that, that disease today. I don't have any symptoms of it. I'm just tired. <laughs> but you're not alone. And we are not meant to suffer. 
And there's so many good things. There's so much gratitude in everybody's life. And I don't think, and when we go through things like that, we don't focus on the gratitude anymore. We just focus on the negative because it's so much easier to do that. Just get into complete gratitude for what you do have and, and everything will start shifting for you. And, and, and honestly, um, I am creating a course for people who have chronic illnesses because I felt so alone. I want a community. I'm creating a community for people to come together, to be together, to feel seen and heard, to know that they're not alone, that there is hope, that there are tools to use to help you get through this. And, and that there's a better, you know, there's light at the end of that tunnel when it doesn't seem like there is, there is, even though you can't see it, I can for you. I'll believe in you. Yeah. That's (laughs) That's all I needed was someone to believe in me. There's a, there's a lot of power in being a person on the other side of the storm, helping people get through it. Like being like, I know you can't see it right now, but I've been through that. I'm over here. You can be over here too. I can help guide you. Um, there's a lot of power in that. So that's amazing. And I, I love that you're creating a community because I think unfortunately, even in a lot of like those, you know, there might be like MS Facebook groups, there might be like things like that. And I think unfortunately in a lot of those groups, there's people that are just like, it's okay to feel sad and blame this. Like, and it's not like you have so much more power than you realize with anything, you know? I've, and I think mm-hmm. that fortunately there's a lot of people out there that if you f- look for them, they exist that have worked through these things and have not taken on that victim identity forever. And, you know, that show us no matter what you deal with, no matter what you have or, you know, identify as you can be something more. You don't have to let that limit you. Um, cause I think that there's, yeah. you know, people like to blame external sources. You like to be not the one that's at fault for what you're going through. Um, and although external sources can sometimes make things harder, you know, conditions can make things harder. You can still have an amazing quality of life. And it's, it's yeah. awesome that you're, you know, helping people realize that, especially with what you went through. Yeah. And I just want to touch on that. Um, you know, when you go to the doctors and stuff, every, your focus is so much on you're sick and they just give you all this negative stuff. And so that's all I heard. So it's like, I was okay. I'm sick. I'm going to die. Like that's all I thought. And they told me to join those, um, MS support groups. I got on there and I saw every negative thing people were writing and I got right back off because I, (laughs) it scared me and I didn't want to fill my mind with that all the time. And so because people are scared. And so they just get together and, 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 and they're talking about like all the negative that's going on, which is, is, is fine. That's what's happening to you. But, um, there's so much good that can come from it when you change your perspective. And that's why, like, I want people to know that they can come out the other side, even when it's so hard and it's going to take some time. It took me a long time and it's, I'm, there's still days. I have hard days still but it's not around MS anymore. And I think that that's amazing. I, I changed my story and I didn't let my disease define who I was. And for a long time it did. I was the girl with, you know, I was the girl with MS, the sick girl with MS. People felt bad for me. And I was like, I don't like this. This doesn't feel good anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be the girl who overcame it. Yeah. So that's what, you know, that's what I want other people to know that there's hope. Yeah. And I think 
It doesn't have to be that way. I think like you, you mentioned earlier, it's, it's fine for people to come. I think there is a grieving process with any diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. This is now a part of you. Uh, and there's definitely a grieving process. And I think for families, there, there is certain grieving processes that take place too. Um, I lost my mom to ALS, uh, in 2017 and we lost my aunt before that. And so, you know, of course, when we got that call, my initial response was, no, this is not possible. My sisters, no, this is not possible, you know? And then you mm -hmm. go through grieving. She went through her grieving and, and figuring out how to deal. But then she got immediately to that place through her faith of, I'm going to make the best of every day that I have here then, right? This doesn't have to define every day of my life, um, you know, until eventually it progressed. And so I think that it's appropriate to acknowledge there's a grieving process for the individual with a diagnosis, but at the same time, there's so much that you can do with your mind um, and things that you can instill maybe in your life that you're not currently instilling, going to the gym, eating good quality food, right? To lessen the symptoms um, mm -hmm. and, you know, help give your body the support essentially that it needs. So we recognize that there is, there is grief and there is pain, but as you mentioned, there's a path forward and there's healing. So thank you so much for coming on. I think this will resonate with a lot of our listeners and we know some listeners who have MS, who have families impacted by MS. So we would encourage all of you to connect with her on Instagram. We will link her information and contact information out uh, in the show notes. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Food Code. If this episode resonated with you, please share, rate, and review as this helps us reach others around the world. With that, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Love you guys.